I call it grace. You know, if you hold the space, if you figure things out well, it's like a miracle happens. It's like, ah, now I see you as a human being. Hi, I'm Bobby, a certified caregiving consultant and educator. I was a family caregiver for my father-in-law, Roger, for seven years, and now I work one-on-one with family caregivers to help them find solutions to the often confusing and difficult behaviors that come with a dementia diagnosis. And I'm her husband, Mike, and I'm a certified caregiver advocate and a certified music therapist who works with music and memory programs within memory care facilities. And this is Roger That, the podcast dedicated to guiding you through the haze of dementia. Our goal is to focus on the caregiver, offer practical insights, and share some emotional support. And maybe, just maybe, we'll share a laugh or two because we all know laughter's the best medicine. And don't forget the wine, Mike. Uh, Speaking of best medicine, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) You know, since we were on our own caring for my dad... We didn't have any conflicts when it came to his care or decision-making. However, conflict can be, and often is, a very severe issue among family members. I remember how my dad would be on his best behavior, a model citizen, if you will, whenever someone else was around, to include his doctors. Absolutely. And we do know that very often families are torn apart when caregiving issues arise. But I wouldn't say that we didn't have conflict because you and I probably fought more during that time that we were caregivers than we had before or since in our 35 years of marriage. And we did not have the benefit of a conflict resolution aid, so to speak. We just kind of survived it. Um, and fortunately, we, we, we did it well and we still like each other. <laughs> <laughs> But that brings us to today's guest, who is a registered nurse and a working member of the Association of Conflict Resolution Elder Mediation Professional Development Group, as well as a working member of Mediators Beyond Borders International, and a member of the American Bar Association Dispute Resolution Development Committee. She focuses on family mediation, health and elder care mediation, civil and business mediation, and conflict coaching. She is currently serving on her second term on the board of the Tennessee Association of Professional Mediators. We are pleased to welcome Kim Best. Kim, thank you so much for being with us. And I guess, based on all of these wonderful qualifications you have, you have no problems whatsoever in, in, in your life. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You know, that's a beautiful thing to say, Bobby, because um, when I train on conflict or even, you know, talk to groups at all, um, I say I'm really good at handling conflict. And I am really good at handling conflict, unless it's my own. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> because it's really hard to step aside and see things, you know, clearly, neutrally when you're involved in the conflict. We find that with uh, professional caregivers, they're they're so excellent in in communicating and responding to people with dementia in their professional life. But when it comes to a family member, they're just like the rest of us. Yeah, you have those histories in the way. And I want to say, I just want to take a moment to recognize all the caregivers. Um, I also saw my dad through a long period and my mom and, you know, being a nurse. I know how 
hard it is. And it's a sacrifice. It's an act of love. And uh, I just want to send a virtual hug to all of you for the work that you're doing. And they all need it. So how did you, you said that you were a caregiver for your mom and dad? Mm -hmm. Yeah, my dad lived with me for 10 years. And he had dementia? Um, not as an initial diagnosis, no, but, you know, as time goes on and the sicker he got, probably, well, the more confused. I mean, one of the most heartbreaking things for me, kind of being a daddy's girl, was at one point in his illness, he said, you're such a good wife to me. Like, what did I do to deserve you as a wife? And the fact that he didn't see me as a daughter, or even maybe consider that that was a role a daughter would take, I really felt just blindsided by that. And, you know, I'll never forget it because that's that's when I knew he kind of didn't know who I was. So we had our moments where we had to deal with that unknowing, I guess, is a better. And unfortunately, that happens and it comes as such a shock that you have a hard time dealing with it and people don't recognize or understand that these are devastating brain diseases that affect the outside of the brain and work their way in. So what was happening was, is your dad wasn't seeing you as 31-year-old you, but he was thinking of 13-year-old you. And you didn't look like that 13-year-old. Yeah, I mean, for, for your dad to think you're his wife is just a little bit discombobulating. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, no doubt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So... Can you tell us what are some of the issues that people are dealing with that they bring to you most often? Yeah. So about the line of conflict, I mean, there, there probably is not very many times in our lives when so much conflict will be presented. It's an ever-changing caregiving, the whole process of aging, end of life, the dementia walk. Every moment is an unknown, and we struggle with unknowns. It's sort of an experiment, right? Like sometimes we'll get it right and sometimes we won't. But our expectations, the other family's expectations, the navigating the healthcare system, trying to meet the needs of the person we're caregiving, and there's a million reasons that it's difficult and challenging and conflicts arise. So I deal with everything from people trying to arrange their legal issues. And I recommend a collaborative approach to that so no one's blindsided later. Healthcare decisions, where someone goes, who takes care. Really the hardest thing for families is dividing that up because it's pretty common to think one person's doing more work than the other. And all these stories we tell ourselves that may or may not be true, I can help sort through those. So we have the healthcare decisions. We have conflict over end of life decisions. We have conflict over celebration of life decisions for after our loved one. And then we just have the relationships, the family dynamics that have a history of unresolved conflict. And, you know, our people who are leaving us are leaving their legacy as they're going. And this unresolved conflict can be um, really painful for them. Side note, the very first client I had as a mediator was an attorney who had all the legal stuff perfect. He had end of life for his wife, but they had unresolved family issues. And he said, you know, I came into this world well, I want to finish well, 
And I want there to be some healing for this so that my wife can finish well as well. So we worked with the family to bring that to the best outcome that we could. So there's a lot of reason to have conflict, sometimes even between whatever healthcare agency is helping you. Because most of us haven't learned very well to deal with conflict, we can sit in the middle of any of those kind of, wow, we're stuck right now moments. And how do we have a conversation to move forward? And if I can just add one thing real quick. So a lot of people come and say, well, you know, well, there's six of us in the family and three of us want to talk and the others don't, or one wants to talk. And the truth is, this is all a system. A family is a system. And if we change one part of it, there's hope for the whole thing. So even if other family members don't want to participate, um, some conflict management, conflict coaching, conflict help can help you get through it. You know, two really quick points. One is I was on the uh, website and there was a great article on and you just sparked this when no one wants to talk. And it was a great article, and I thought it was really, really fascinating. And it is so true that you want to pretend the situation doesn't exist. And that makes that conflict so, so, so difficult. What you just said gave me goosebumps. Like you literally gave me goosebumps, what you said about not being able to talk. And avoiding conflict is, I, I pull people, you know, what is your conflict style? You know, are you a fighter, an avoider, or willing to work together? And by far, avoiding it is the largest number of people. But I think of conflict as a potential trash pile. And when we sweep that under the rug, the pile gets so big, right? So people don't deal with the conflict because it'll be difficult to do. But dealing with that pile that's under the rug is way more difficult than dealing it with it on the front end. So the talking about it that could build bridges, just the understanding, talking being not so much giving your point, but listening to the other person's point uh, uh, makes a tremendous difference. So that's the other point I wanted to make is usually when you're in conflict, it's typically two probably the two ends of the spectrum are 95% of it is I'm just going to shut down and not talk about it and pretend, or I'm going to roll up my sleeves and I'm going to bloody your nose. I'm going to fight you. And it's that small group in between that you got to move to being able to talk and being able to listen. As you said, that's what my other point was. <laughs> Very good. That's very true. And I just want to throw in that the process is never about blame or who's right or who's wrong or what the capital truth is. Um, I almost always find in the people that I work with very good people at the opposite ends. I mean, I like them both a lot. They're just stuck in their pain and None of us are the best. Uh, people, just very often, this side will say, oh, he's a narcissist. And this side says, oh, she's a narcissist. I mean, everybody I see is diagnosed as a narcissist by the other side. But the truth is, none of us are so narcissistic as when we're in pain. Because when we're in pain, it's all about us. And that's kind of a biological thing, too. So opening up a space where we can get past that without blame with understanding and with designing a better way to move forward. It's just a wonderful tool. Well, I wanted to bring up, we had someone on a much earlier podcast who had written a book called Sister Shove. 
And it was two sisters on opposite sides of the country trying to care for mom. And one was a physician who was looking at things from a very pragmatic point of view. And then we had the the other sister who was looking at it more from an emotional point of view. And as you can imagine, they didn't agree on much at first (laughs) (laughs) until they were able to recognize each other's strengths. And I imagine getting somebody to where these sisters stop shoving one another (laughs) is exactly what you do. But I hear from people all the time where the family's fractured. Somebody is coming in and doing things that may not even be legal or mom had a better relation. Mom always liked you best. And sometimes mom will only listen to the sons and doesn't pay attention to the daughter. And the daughter's the one that's doing the day-to-day care. And we have all of this going on while we're seeing somebody that we love and care for failing day after day after day. And that just makes it such a volatile situation, which makes what you do so, so absolutely valuable. Well, Bobby, I just want to say that if that description matches anybody who's out there listening, they're not alone because there is no perfect family. We all have histories and we all have histories of hurt. And if we knew how to fix it, we would. But we also are in a society or it's kind of an epidemic of estrangement. So if someone angers us, we just fire them. We just cut them out of our lives. And I caution against that because eventually there'll be nobody there. Mm -hmm. You know, if we let everybody go who upsets us, being upset, having your toes stepped on is the word I like to use in conflict. That's just part of life. It's just the healing afterwards that we haven't learned how to do. And you know, I'm going to do a shameless plug for my book at this right real quick. Oh, please um, do. And the reason being, the conflict you described, there is a way, I believe, and I know that uh, to, to avoid it, not using avoidance as a technique, but it is to be prepared for this ahead of time. And it is for that that I wrote How to Live Forever, a guide to writing the final chapter of your life story. Two sisters don't have to fight about what to do with mom or for mom. If they've sat down with mom and had the conversation, it makes it so much easier to honor somebody's wishes. So my book covers the legal issues, the healthcare issues, the end of life, Family squabbles describes mediation, but most of all, I believe that we're all writing our story and we want the best ending we can have. It's not about dying well, it's about living well all the way to the end. And if we took the time to prepare for that and had these conversations, you know, that's a great option. You know, it's interesting because one of the things I speak about and have spoken Um, at national caregiver conferences and whatnot, is how to get to and then have those difficult conversations. In other words, the care, the doctor visits, the end of life, who's going to do what, when, and how. And getting that, and this goes into something that Bobby talks about a lot of times, having that care team and the assignments on that care team and get that care team together and work with the doctors, with the care professionals and whatnot. So yeah, I really appreciate specifically what you have there. Well, one of the issues that we have, despite all of our expertise, 
is we have a daughter who doesn't want to hear anything bad can ever happen to her mom. You know, when I share information, she'll say something like, I'll share that with my friends, but it's not going to happen to you. She just kind of turns off and she is the one that's going to be the primary caregiver simply by each one of our four children have different talents and different expertise. They all have good hearts, but she's the one. She's she's closest. She is extremely organized. She would step up in a minute, but she thinks she knows what she's going to do, but she really doesn't. <laughs> no. It's like everything else, you don't know what you're getting into. But I, I say that um, end of life is sort of the last taboo, the final frontier of subjects that we don't talk about. And I recently spoke to a group of senior citizens, and one of them had ALS. And um, she said, this is probably my last year to live. And she said, I'm okay with that. It's my family. It's harder for my family, my dying, than it is for me. So one of my wishes is to begin having the conversations around end of life because we will die. And sometimes when we seek further treatment for someone who is dying or even in the case of COVID, perhaps withhold the family members and caregivers that would add the quality of life. You know, we we maybe aren't doing them justice, and in some cases, it's even torture. And it's because we haven't accepted that we're going to die. So, and a little side note on death, medical advances, making us live longer and curing and treating a lot of things also means, because everything has a price, that it's taking longer and it's harder to die. And that's hard on the patients and that's hard on the family and everyone else who cares about them. We don't see the consequences like you described with your daughter. We don't know what we don't know. I would like to see a world where we bring this into discussion so that we can write our stories well all the way to the end. I have to go back and ask a question. So you have a psychology degree also. And I'm wondering, my dad had a bunch of psychological issues, right? He was diagnosed as, a, as schizophrenia. So how does one hurdle that conflict resolution for someone with dementia and another mental health issue where cognitive ability is hampered? That's got to be exponentially harder. Yeah, it is. And I think the simple answer to that is you may not get the perfect outcome, but you, can you meet that person where they are? Mm. And so if, if I have someone with any type of limitation, it's just another type of limitation. So I, I say you wouldn't expect someone who is paralyzed to get up and walk. And we might expect a schizophrenic to function at a higher level. So I, I think meeting people where they are. Uh, and then I also think there is something in that I absolutely love. I believe in honoring what the sick or dying person wants. That That's what I believe to the best of ability. And once we have someone speaking for that person, sometimes we eliminate all of that person's input. So again, meeting them as much as they can. And some states have a legal term for supported decision-making where family members 
or whoever the caregiver is, is not making all the decisions, but but someone else has the ability to make it up until the point that they're able to do it. It was kind of fascinating to clients when I when I brought it up. And that's not a legal document in Tennessee, but it is in some states. And again, it says that to the degree someone's able to give their input, they can give their input. So it's not all or nothing. And and I do believe in that. Like, you know, even with dementia, some days you're clear and you can ask a question and then that should matter. So maybe Mm -hmm. I think the best answer is always being aware of what that person wants and finding a way to do that. You know, but the whole idea of, of mediation in this environment is not something that I had ever heard of or considered before. And I think it would be so valuable to so many families. Yeah, I want to say something about mediation. So a lot of times if I say I'm a mediator, I get one of two responses. I get, huh? And I just want to say 10 years ago, if you Googled mediation, Google would say, you mean meditation? (laughs) So it's fairly new. The other population associates mediation with, you know, horrible divorce. Divorces, yeah. And it's true. Exactly. We do that too. But it's not well understood what it is. So I am changing my name or adding to it. It's collaborative problem solving. And it is also an alternative to litigation. So if you litigate, there's a good chance a judge will send you to mediation anyway. But by the time you go through a court system and lawyers, the acrimony is almost unrepairable. I mean, we can get an agreement but for you to bridge that gap in a relationship way, it's it's just almost impossible. Mediation is a way to settle these problems before they become litigious. Is it difficult to get people to the table? Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. And the reason I think it is, and I'd love I'd love for your listeners to, you know, weigh into you, maybe send an email or something, but I think people are so afraid of blame, number one, that the finger's going to point to them. And honestly, everybody has a responsibility in every conflict. And I also think that systems are so used to functioning with their breaks that it's scary to imagine, like, what will happen if I do get along with this person? (laughs) So part of my job is to see how far people want to go. But as things heal and decisions are made, it is crazy what happens. I call it grace. You know, if you hold the space, if you figure things out well, it's like a miracle happens. It's like, ah, now I see you as a human being. As much as Mike and I love each other and on top of that, like one another, we communicate in very different ways. So very often I will say something to him thinking I'm being very clear and what he heard me say or how he'd interpret it was very different and vice versa. And I imagine working with someone like you, you could help us (laughs) be more clear in either our listening or in the way that we're presenting the information, which would make a difference. Uh, What did you say? (laughs) (laughs) There, we got our laugh in. (laughs) Yay! (laughs) Yeah, you know, the one thing that I love about the process that we go through whatever conflict design is needed for that family is they do learn conflict tools for moving forward. So most of my families don't come back 
because their issue is resolved. But the ones who have long-term thing, the next conflict that comes up, they can manage it until, okay, we're stuck again. Now, how do we work through this? So I just love that people are, have tools and it's about empowerment. I mean, it's about you making decisions for yourself and your family, not a judge doing it. You know, it's being flexible and changing those things as it comes up, which is a great communication or some communication. Are there issues, particularly when we're dealing with the elders in dementia conflict that you see over and over again with various families? Uh, Yes, I would say one is the sibling who's doing a lot and views that another sibling or siblings aren't doing anything. And the one that's on the spot uh, that hospitals see, I had a physician with my last talk, and that is nobody knowing what to do when a situation is dire and, you know, not having a path forward when somebody needs to know for someone's life or death what to do next. The family issues mostly because some people can work through their conflict like you did with your family. The ones who can't usually have some underlying dynamics too. Well, Miss Kim, <laughs> it's been wonderful having you on as usual. I've learned a lot. I always learn from our guests, probably because I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but I try to at least be a tool, right? Um <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. (laughs) There, we got a second laugh in. (laughs) Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to come talk with us and provide this valuable information to our listeners. It's been an honor. I mean, thanks for having me. Y'all are awesome. Thanks for the work that you do. I think the knowing that there's people who care that you can reach out to, that you're not alone in this journey. I mean, what a gift. Yeah. Yes, and... Thank you again so very much. You know, a couple of things that I noted were, the first thing I wrote down was leaving our legacy as we're leaving. Yeah. And what that legacy might be and how to make it as clear as and organized as possible for those. And the other was collaborative problem solving. And I've often mentioned creative problem solving but collaborative problem solving and, you know, working together to solve an issue, so important. Yeah. One of the things that struck me at the very beginning was, yeah, I'm I'm great for others, but um, maybe not so great for myself. And I think that's <laughs> pretty much across the board for people that being an outsider looking in, it's so much easier to have an understanding. But when it directly affects you, you have history that gets in the way and creates speed bumps. This epidemic of estrangement. I mean, we've definitely seen that within our families. Yeah. And that today with all the medicines, that it takes longer and it is harder to die. Boy, isn't that the truth? Absolutely. Again, I, I have to reiterate what you said. We always learn so much from our guests, and there's, this was powerful, powerful yeah. episode. You can find more information about Kim and links to the Best Conflict Solutions website and Facebook page, and also her book on our show website at rogerthat.show. This has been Roger That. I'm Bobby. And I'm Mike. And we're dedicated to guiding you through the haze of dementia. Bobby and I would like to hear from you 
answer any questions you might have, or hear about your thoughts of today's guest, or just find out how you're doing. Please connect with us on our Roger That Facebook and Twitter. To find out more about us, head over to rogerthat.show. That's Roger, R-O-D-G-E-R, that.show. Roger That is produced by Missing Link, a media podcast company dedicated to connecting people to intelligent, engaging, and informative content. Also in the Missing Link lineup of podcasts is the Designated Drinker Show, the podcast raising the bar on craft cocktails. Here you meet interesting folks, enjoy boozy banter, and learn how to make craft cocktails from a master. And if you're looking for a whole new way to enjoy theater, check out Between Acts, an immersive audio theater podcast experience. Each episode takes you on a spellbinding journey through the works of newfound playwrights, from dramas to comedies and all those in between. Find Missing Link's League of Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe, download, and review the shows as your review helps our show reach new audiences. To find out more about Missing Link, visit missinglink.company.